Moncrief on News Talk. As he always does on a Tuesday, Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us to bring us some stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan, Sean, how are you? Uh, right, Thailand. We're going to go to first and and explain to us, I suppose, what is a punishment haircut. Yes, so this, the activists have been calling for uh, clearer guidance and enforcement on uh, these so-called punishment haircuts in schools. So you know that Thailand has a long history with the military, right? Mm. And they're effectively in power at the moment after a brief hiatus there in the in the early to mid two thousands. Um, and back in the 1970s, the, when it was really strong, the military brought in measures into schools where they basically said, right, school kids have to have their hair cut in a certain fashion. Right. So males had to have crew cuts and females, young girls, could only have hair that was in a bob and it could only go down as far as their earlobes. Right. And this was all to lead to, you know, a more regimented style of life. So mm. the males would be enticed, would love this, you know, uniform sort of look and they'd be enticed to, to, to join in the military and all that kind of thing. So it was to, to give order and to intimidate people, basically. And uh, for a very long time, they had this in place. And so punishment haircuts were basically for those rebellious types who decided that they didn't like having crew cuts and they'd be taken out into the schoolyard in front of people during assembly and they would have their hair cut. Now, back in 2020, this practice was supposedly stopped. But obviously, you know, like with all of these things, law and culture don't always align. So mm. there were teachers who were still carrying out these punishment haircuts. And most recently, this came to the attention of a campaigning group that have been around since around about 2019, 2020 when those um, when those protests against the, the government took place that most people will remember. And this group is called Bad Student, right? So they were sent <laughs> good, name good name for a protest group. They were sent um, footage of a teacher in the north of the country who had taken out apparently about 100 students and cut their hair very badly in front of the rest of the school, right? And there was fairly decent amount of outrage about this for obvious reasons. It went all the way up to the Minister for Education who basically said this shouldn't have happened because you know we've done away with these type of punishments and and it needs to stop. So an investigation has now been launched and it looks like something might happen to the perpetrator and indeed the uh, principal of this particular perpetrator of the action and the, and the principal of the school. Right, okay. So it's technically illegal to give these punishment haircuts. Yeah. Are there still rules around it, hairstyles it, it, a bit? There are. So what they did in 2020 was the government said, right, we'll do away with that sort of those strict rules and instead what we'll do is we'll allow schools to come up with their own practices uh, and their own ways of how hmm. people should dress. Like it probably was back certainly when I went to school secondary school we were that, told sure, there's no roof on that school when I was at school <laughs> do you know so so um, you know it's being left to schools to decide the school board but you could have a school board in the middle of the nowhere where which is basically run by a principal yeah. which is very different from from uh, you know a school board in, in the capital city so it's 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 not very clear so they're looking for clear guidance as to what should be done. Right, right. Belgium, uh, we're going to go to next. Now, this is uh, this is a very mm. uh, sad case. So I suppose start by telling us what, what, what this, the mother in this case, what, what she did all those years yeah, ago. Yeah, so this is Genevieve uh, Lermite. You might remember this was back in 2007, specifically on the 28th of February 2007. And that 
date resonated years later as you'll discover mm. she killed her five children right so she had uh, one son and four daughters aged between thir- three and fourteen I won't go into the details uh, because it's not necessary but she killed them while her husband was away visiting relations of his in Morocco she tried to kill herself then uh, but she was unsuccessful and as a result she was arrested uh, she was charged, uh, convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison in December of 2008. She was then moved to a psychiatric hospital 11 years later, 2019. And she decided that she wanted to die. And as you know, under Belgian law, euthanasia and assisted suicide is legal. Mm. And it's not just... You, 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 you don't get... You can get access to it if you're suffering unbearable physical pain but also unbearable psychological pain Um, and this is how she was given permission to go down this particular avenue and so on the 28th of February the same date that she killed her children of this year she decided uh, that enough was enough and she is now gone from this earth. Yeah, and I assume that the choice of date was deliberate on her part. This is, we don't know for sure, but her lawyers have basically come out and said that it was probably a symbolic gesture in respect of her children, Um, which is, I don't know. I I don't know. I I think it makes the the story and the situation even sadder in a way. Yes, it does, really. Uh, Because I wonder, like, I assume there must be some sort of process you go through in Belgium to, you know, where where permission is given for this. But given that her history of uh, uh, psychiatric illness... You know, was there some debate about whether she was in a fit state to actually make this? Well, that's a great point. And uh, some people are saying, I saw some criticism of this particular decision and and the fact that she was allowed to do it, that it's the death penalty by the back door, uh, which I thought was Mm. a very interesting take on it. And you're dead right. You know, the fact that she was moved to a psychiatric hospital in 2019, you do have to be... Uh, in possession of, you know, the decision, you know, of of, you should be conscious of the decision that you're making and know what you're doing. But Mm. that's a very grey area. Um, uh, And, you know, because she was sent to the hospital, was she? Uh, There was, yeah, because there was a guy a million years ago in the States called Gary Gilmore. Now, I forget what he did, but um, he he requested the death penalty mm-hmm. uh, where actually he could have got he could have got a life imprisonment but he said I don't want to spend the rest of my life in prison I'd prefer the death penalty and I think he was shot actually rather than wow. okay. uh, the usual methods of doing it uh, right no, Nigeria we're going to go to next and a, uh, a, a, the leader of a prostitution ring is, has been sent back to Italy yeah interesting story this is a woman uh, by the name of Joy Jeff who was also known as Madam Joy um, unfortunately uh, for her she was sent back from Nigeria to Italy off the back of a case that she was involved in or several cases that she was involved in back in the late uh, the, early, the late noughties um, so back in around about 2006-2007 um, investigators in the city of Ancona do you know Ancona it's on the Adriatic mm. it's, it, it's, it was a resort town on the Adriatic there um, not far from San Marino and beautiful place. But anyway, she ran a prostitution ring there. OK, and that's where the investigation start started. But it turned out that her her criminal tentacles reached out a lot further. Right. And she was actually trafficking people with the help of others from Nigeria into Italy and then sending them on to the Netherlands and Spain as well. So getting them to work in Italy, Crikey. but also to those countries as well. 
And as the investigation went further, it became apparent that she was connected to what's called the Nigerian Mafia there. Okay, now this is a very big organization that's operating in cahoots in many ways with better known organizations like the Camorra and that kind of thing. They give them a percentage. They're involved in drug trafficking. They're involved in human trafficking and all sorts of things. And she, all sorts of things. And she was in one of the only females on Italy's most wanted uh, list of criminals, right? So anyway, she, when the investigation was originally being put together, she got wind of it and she went back to Nigeria around about 2009 and she was sentenced in, abs- in absentia to 13 years in prison back in 2010. The Italians didn't leave it at that, right? They decided that they wanted to go after her and they signed an agreement, an extradition agreement with Nigeria in 2020. And off the back of that, they were able to bring her back from Abuja some 13 years after she was originally sentenced mm. to serve her time, which she'll now be doing. And they were so pleased about it, the Italian authorities, that they took a video of the whole thing, picking her up in Abuja, putting her on the plane, getting her to Champino, taking her off and getting her into prison. So it's it's a big win for them and they seem delighted about it. <laughs> right, okay. The uh, And the agreement they have with uh, now with Nigeria is an ongoing agreement or was it just for her? No, it was. it's an extradition uh, treaty that was signed by mm. Nigeria and Italy in 2020 and actually there was a quote from one of the police chiefs that was responsible for the international coordination of this and he said that Africa today is a strategic location when looking for fugitives and fighting organised crime. So it's very interesting to see how powerful this uh, this this new mafia has become mm. in uh, in Italy and elsewhere in Europe. Uh, right, Israel, we're going to go to you next now. This is another uh, story uh, regarding teachers, but I suppose it throws some light on on racial tensions uh, within Israel, and I don't mean between uh, Israelis and Palestinians. So th- this is about a, a, a student noticed something on their teacher's WhatsApp group. Yeah, so the, the a group of students went off on a trip with their teachers, um, three-day trip, some sort of a pilgrimage, I imagine. And uh, a student was sitting on the coach and looked in between the, you know, the chairs, as you do mm. when you're yeah. going away on your school trip, and found that her teacher was texting to a group called the Black School Trip. And some of the content that was being texted, this is a WhatsApp group, sorry, was being sent uh, amongst the group, uh, was not too pleasant about the black students that were on the trip with them. Now, I should explain that these black students are what we call Ethiopian Israelis, Mm. right? So she decided, this student, that she would take photographs and video of the teacher who was a woman, as far as I can see, because nail polish on her on her fingers. There's videos of this on the internet, ah, by the right. way. And uh, she then posted it on social media, and she posted it with a comment. I'll read a little bit of it, if I may. Mm. She said, good morning to all the educators of this school. It saddens me as a member of the Ethiopian community to see the level you sank to today. Instead of being our teachers and setting an example and making us feel like we're in our safest place, you did the exact opposite. I see the photos and I just don't believe that they came from our teachers. You are a disgrace. This went out on social media. This was seen by the teachers who were on the trip. And it was also seen by the headmaster, went all the way up to the Minister for Education, yet again in Israel, and uh, an investigation has been launched. These three teachers were immediately taken off the trip, replaced by three others. The trip continues and or continued 
uh, but it's caused a major ruckus uh, in, in Israel and, and, and has raised questions about the standing of Ethiopian Israelis within that country. Yeah, well, who have had it difficult. As, as Very as difficult, as yeah. I mean, they, they, there's about 150,000 of them, maybe 160,000 of them. Very interesting, fascinating, really. I mean, they were moved effectively as a group in the early 1980s. Uh, during the you know the civil war yes, in Ethiopia, yeah. and they were given um, sanctuary in Israel, you know, so they were welcomed. But when they arrived, it was noticeable straight away that there were many of them were illiterate. They had worked on farms, and so they were straight away at a disadvantage. So they're very generally, it's, certainly the first generation were very poor. They didn't do particularly well for themselves. Uh, and they've had it very difficult, uh, although things are improving slightly for them. But a fascinating group of people. Yeah. I mean, wow. Thanks, Robin Trilly. Robin Trilly is texting in to say, on the subject of Gary Gilmore, who I mentioned, yeah. one of his last requests was to donate his eyes, which was carried out. Uh, the 1970s UK punk band The Adverts released a seven-inch single called Looking Through Gary Gilmore's Eyes. I wonder who ended up with those eyes. And I wonder, did they actually tell them who they ended up with? Uh, finally, Spain we're going to go to uh, next. Now, this was, uh, I think this was reported on last year or something. This is... They should make a movie about this yeah. kind of thing. But these, uh, th- th- this pair have finally been sentenced. Yes, yeah, so this is a former Mexican beauty queen and her partner. So Priscilla Guevara uh, and Constantine Dumitru. There's quite an age gap between them. I think she was about 27 and he was 47. There, thereabouts. But they stole some wine from um, a very well-known and, and very popular hotel in uh, Caceres, okay, a, a city in Spain. This happened in 2021. So she checked into this hotel in October of 2021 under a fake Swiss passport and was later joined by her boyfriend. They had a 14-course meal, okay, in this Michelin star oh. restaurant in the ho- hotel. And then they went and took a guided tour of the wine cellar, right? Uh, later that night, he returned. Apparently, she ordered food when when most of the staff had gone away. So the mm. poor fellow at reception or woman at reception uh, had to go up, bring the food to her. And while he was doing that, the boyfriend went in behind the desk, took a master key, went down to the wine cellar and went off with about 1.6 million euros worth of wine. This is only like 40 five bottles of wine though. Yeah, there wasn't that many Super expensive wine. Yeah, so one of the bottles was priced or valued at 350,000 euros. That's an 1884 Chateau de Chem. Maybe you can get one of those for your next movie. I usually have that with a (laughs) snack box of a Friday. Absolutely. Yeah, so they were picked up about nine months later then trying to cross into Croatia, uh, sent back uh, to Spain and now they've been sentenced to four years in prison for their trouble. The wine hasn't been recovered. That's the thing. Mm. That's that's the great puzzler. Where is the wine? Mm, Indeed. (laughs) Somebody just find it <laughs> and got rot arsed and a 350 gram bottle they reckon, of wine. They reckon, just to, just to uh, finish on this, they reckon that it might have been stolen to order. Ah, and right. so that's and, and if that was the case, they are quite concerned that they're never going to get it back because yeah. <laughs> some fella has, has quaffed are. a lot already. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, thanks a million as thanks, ever. Sean. Jonathan DeBarkabotla there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.